So um, around last year in January, um, the exact date was January 13th, 2018, around 8 o'clock a.m. local time in Hawaii, there was this emergency alert message that was sent out. Do you remember this? I thought this was Photoshop when I first saw this, right? It says, emergency alert, ballistic, all caps too, right? Ballistic missile threat, inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill, right? And you probably saw this blow up over Twitter, over the internet, but the entire, well, at least Hawaii was freaking out that I guess North Korea or some other nation would send these ballistic nuke missiles, right? And it sent the entire state into a frenzy, and I, well, I actually stumbled upon a Reddit thread that talked about how um, the Hawaiians, they, they responded to this, right? So they were kind of like, oh, what was your response? What was kind of like, what was going on in Hawaii when you received this threat, right? Because this pretty much means that in 30 or like 40 minutes or less, your life is probably over if this was a legitimate threat, if missiles were actually launched, right? Um, so I want to share like some of the responses. That's... Um, Kind of funny. Uh, one guy uh, who received this message, he cleared out his fridge and he hid inside of it, right? He got, the, he got this first alert. So there were like a series of alerts, right? He got the first alert when he had 2% battery on his phone, right? So he ended, his phone died. He didn't receive the false alarm alert because this was a false alarm, right? Um, and he ended up staying in the fridge for six hours. I hope the fridge was unplugged because he'd be freezing to death, right? Um, and one couple actually had their wedding day on that Saturday, right? Can you imagine 8 a.m. in the morning, right? All the bridesmaids, you're getting your makeup done, right? You're looking fly, right? And all of a sudden, you get this text. What the heck is going on? That's a great way to ruin your wedding, right? A threat of a nuke on the, you know, the day of your wedding. Um, another guy uh, went straight to the golf course, and he said, I wanted to die playing golf. If I'm going to die anyways, I'm going to die playing golf, right? And I'm sure a lot of us here, we would do that, right? 30 minutes to live. Hey, let's try to make like one or two holes. Um, there, and there's another story of a married couple in a terrible fight, right? Uh, the husband called his wife and just said, hey, I love you. And he pretty much expressed how it was so stupid to fight, especially that, you know, life was going to end in like 30 minutes. And both of them, they expressed that they didn't want each other to die. And after the false alarm, they actually made up. They stopped fighting. And this was a quote from that thread. Eminent nuclear death is apparently a pretty good marriage therapy. So couples, if you guys are fighting, um, hopefully God will provide a nuclear missile so that you can repair your relationship, right? Um, all in all, I was looking through these, and it's kind of like heartbreaking. Like the level of scare, the level of stress, right? And many stories, there's many stories of people calling their loved ones to say, I love you one last time, right? Spouses calling each other, uh, children calling their parents, parents calling their children. And one thing that I found interesting in looking through all these different responses was that a lot of people actually mentioned that they felt so helpless. They were powerless. And they just had to accept the reality of death. The irony of the fact is that, in one sense, um, that statement is true, isn't it? Uh, we are helpless to some degree. And in one sense, we do have to accept the reality of death. Right? What do they say? There's two things in life that's guaranteed, death and taxes. Right? And as morbid and dark as it sounds, I mean, look at the theme. Right? Um, our title is like mortality. 
Uh, I didn't have any <laughs> words to like switch this with. But as morbid as the sound, um, as it sounds, it's a truth that we have to accept. We have to accept the truth that God and His power and His control is sovereign over all of our lives. This is a comforting and terrifying truth, right? It's comforting in a sense where um, if God doesn't want you to die, you're not going to die. But it's also terrifying because if God wants you to die, you're going to die and there's no way to stop that because that is God's sovereignty, his control over all living things, including our lives. We're going to continue in our series in Lent, and Lent is a time for reflection, uh, Lent is a time for introspection as we await Easter Sunday, right? It's coming, up, it's coming up in a couple weeks. And during Lent, it's just a time where we as Christians, we can get more intimate in our relationship with God, right? This is a season where we practice the spiritual disciplines of fasting. We practice silence. We practice waiting. And for today, this is what we're going to talk about. In our time of meditation and reflection, as we spend time in Lent, Lent allows us to face our own mortality, right? our own humanity, and also to reflect upon God's eternality, right? the fact that, as we just sang earlier, God is everlasting to everlasting. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Psalm 103. We're going to be looking at the Psalms today. Psalm 103, this is from David. We're not going to read the entire psalm, but we're going to read a selected passage here, starting from verse um, 13, and we're going to read to verse 19. So I'll read this all for us. This is a reading of God's word, and it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Verse 19, and the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. all right, and this is how our passage ends. Now, what, what's this passage saying? All right, we, we went over a chunk of Psalm 103, and Psalm 103, if we just take a bird's eye view, um, it's a psalm of praise. Right? There's a psalm of lament, right, when we mourn. There's a psalm of, like, delivery where David is asking for deliverance. And there's a psalm of praise where David, he just worships God for who God is. Here, David praises and worships God for the things that he has done. And he starts a psalm early in verse 1, and he says, Bless the Lord of my soul, right? Bless the Lord of my soul, right? That's where we get our song, 10,000 Reasons. And he gives us a list of reasons why he desires to bless the Lord, right? The reasons is um, God forgives us, right? God heals us. God redeems us, right? God crowns us, and he showers us with his steadfast love. God satisfies us, right? And he continues to talk about God's forgiveness, which is a huge theme of the psalm. And here we are in our passage, and the first thing that we see David um, mentioning in verse 13 is David addressing God as who? Our Father. 
that's kind of interesting because um, this idea of God being our Father is not only limited to the New Testament, but we see that God deals with his people just as a father, loving father, deals with his children, right? God shows his compassion. God, as a father, he loves us. He takes care of us, and he even disciplines us out of love as if we are his own children. That's what it means when God is our father, right? So not only, not only does he love us, not only does he take care of us, not only does he also disciplines us, but he knows us. Verse 14, right? God knows our frame. God knows us to our exact being because he has created us. God knows how we're wired, right? God knows our personalities. He knows our love languages. He knows our strengths. And in addition to that, God also knows our sins, right? He knows our weaknesses. He knows the areas in our lives that we're trying to hide from others. God knows our brokenness, right? And, and then the passage continues on, verse, verses 15 to 16, right? He knows that we're frail. He knows that we're vulnerable. He knows that we're defenseless and that we're easily prone to harm. And even though there are times where we feel invincible, Right? It feels like we're flourishing like the flower in the field. All it takes is a wind to go by us, and we are no more. All it takes is a wind, and we're gone. We disappear, leaving no mark, no legacy. And after he, des- he describes, David describes the human condition, he's making this important contrast in verses 17 through 19, and it says this. He contrasts our humanity, our frailty, our mortality, our finiteness, to God's quality of being everlasting to everlasting. That's the contrast. As we are frail, as we are weak, here we see God everlasting to everlasting with a steadfast love to us, right? God's loyal covenant love is eternal to those who obey him, to those who keep his covenant. And the passage ends in verse 19, declaring God's glory and his kingdom rule, saying that his rule is over everything. God's rule and control is over everything. God is sovereign over your life, your family, your health, your children, your work, your marriage, your engagement, your relationships, your singleness, your transitions, all the change that we're going through and we're scared of and we're struggling to adapt to, God is in control and sovereign over all of that. And that is such a great truth. Here's our main point for today. God displays his sovereign power by showing compassion to those who are like dust. I'm going to say that one more time. God displays his sovereign power by showing compassion to those who are like dust. This truth is so awesome because when we see this grand picture of God and his faithfulness, um, God's not like Thanos, right? Um, Infinity Wars is coming up, so I'm pretty excited about that. God is not like Thanos, right? He doesn't exercise his sovereign power through an iron fist, right? He's not like, I am Yahweh, fear me, right? And he wipes away like half of creation. No. God says, I am Yahweh, be in a relationship with me. Receive my love. And know me according to my word. 
right? God's not like Thanos, right? He, he's not interested in killing us off, right? As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Did you know that God hates death? God hates death as much as we hate it, maybe even more. Death was not a part of his blueprints in creation. Did you know that? When Adam and Eve were on the earth, um, death wasn't a part of his original plan for men until sin came in. Did you know that God doesn't get excited when people go to hell? Right? He doesn't celebrate people going to hell like it's a home run. Right? Um, It's not like the Trinity is having a conversation, right? Let's say God the Father, he goes to the Spirit, and he says, hey, Holy Spirit, check this out. Randy is up for bat. Right? Let's throw him this temptation. Right? Let's throw him this temptation, and let's see if he hits it and he falls into sin. Right? So first pitch. Crack, right? And God gets so excited, right? Oh my gosh, he hit it. He's going to fall into sin. He's going to fall into sin. Home run, right? God doesn't celebrate when we sin. God doesn't celebrate when we fall. God doesn't celebrate when people go to hell. As a matter of fact, sin and the idea of his own creation who are made in his own image going to hell, that fact grieves God. God hates that. And God, we see from this passage, exercises his sovereign power not by damning people for fun. You go to hell, you go to hell, right? He doesn't do that, but rather he shows his sovereign compassion to those who don't deserve it. That's the tone of this passage. This is why David praises God for who he is. And of course, yes, as Christians, we believe that hell does exist, right? There will be a reckoning at the end. There will be judgment. Right? God will be there as the ultimate judge, putting all sins to light. But this passage shows us that God is excited and even pleased to show his compassion to his wayward children. Just as a loving father cares for his own son or daughter. So much to the point where as far as east is from the west, he removes our transgressions. That's what verse 12 says. It's right before our, pa- our passage today. Church, the God that we worship is an awesome powerful, sovereign God who knows our weak condition. And in our weak and broken condition, he shows us compassion. This is why we come on Sundays to worship. So, how can we apply this passage as a church in our season of Lent? Right? And as I go through the sermon, I kind of want to stay a little deeper in these applications just because it is um, our season of Lent. And these applications aren't necessarily going to be like, do this and do that, but rather reflect on this in light of God's character. So this week, I encourage all of us as a church um, in our quiet times, um, when we read the Bible, when we pray, um, let's reflect on these applications. First one is this. Embrace your limitations. Embrace your limitations. We have to accept the reality of aging, right? We have to accept the reality of change. We have to come to grips with the fact that we're not indestructible. We're not as young as we used to be, right? We're not going to have the same metabolism, right? We're not going to have the same immune system. We're not going to retain our athleticism, and even our mental sharpness will start to dull. It's funny because, you know, in our church right now, um, I think like the median age is like 30. In our 20s to 30s, we seem so indestructible, right? 
we seem like we can get over our physical issues in a heartbeat. But once we enter into our 40s and our 50s, it's a different ballgame, right? And I know, like, as I said, 40s and 50s, a lot of you are getting, like, terrified, right? Um, We have to accept the reality of that. Not only that, we also have to accept the fact that we are not perfect, right? Uh, We're not going to succeed all the time. Every venture, every journey that you pursue in life will not result in success. And are you okay with that? Our relationships will not be perfect. Our work will not be perfect. And we have to be okay with being limited. We We even have to be okay with failure because as long as we're on this side of eternity, there will be no perfection. Right, where sin is still rampant, this world is still broken, and we just have to deal with the reality of that. The fact of the matter is this, church, we're going to hurt each other, and other people are going to hurt us. But as terrifying and as sad as these truths are, the contrast is in who God is, right? God understands that he knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He knows that we are dust. God knows that we are frail. He knows that we're aging, right? He knows that we're having a hard time adjusting to change. Change management is so hard, isn't it? But as seasons come and go, as our struggles uh, and our challenges evolve, right, through failure and success, God is still the same amazing God who gives us the exact type of care that we need. Right? He knows our weak areas. He knows our blind spots. He sees our scars. He knows where we need to grow, and as a loving father who knows the exact needs of his children, he will provide for you. Um, In 1992, um, the Olympics were hosted in Barcelona, right? Um, And there's this gold medalist British sprinter by the name of Derek Redman, okay? Um, Super fast guy. He qualified for the semifinals of the 400 meter uh, with the fastest time in his heat. And this is after he won the world championships a year before in 91. Um, he had a lot of hype. He looked like a strong favorite to win the race. And so here we are in game time, right? The race starts, and he's off to a very strong start. But suddenly, within 17 seconds of the race, he tears his hamstring, and he collapses to the ground, right? All the other racers by this time, they already finished, So he gets himself up, and he starts to hobble in pain. And it's so interesting because, like, imagine if you're this athlete training just for this one event to define your entire life, right? After trial, after trial, after run, after run, you look very, very, very good. You look indestructible. You look athletic. You look fast. And here we are in the greatest world stage ever, the Olympics, and you run, and a freak accident, you tear your hamstring. All that training for 26 years gone to waste. All the time that you practiced, your diet, not eating pizza, gone to waste. And imagine how crushing this is for an Olympic athlete. This is your life. And check this out. If you struggle with the idol of control, you realize in this incident, you have no control of your situation. You can try to practice. You can try to perform. You could try to sharpen your gifts. But this 
freak accident reminds us that we have no control. Imagine if you have the idol of acceptance, right? You seek approval. You're on the world's greatest platform. And on TV, where the entire world is watching, they see you competing in this race with all this hype. And all of a sudden, you get hurt, freak accident, and you can't even finish the race properly. This sucks, right? This is extremely painful. This is traumatic. And after a few meters of hobbling, um, this random man comes out from the crowds to help them and finish the race. And it's his father, right? Um, his actual dad comes out of the crowds. He runs towards him. He holds him as he continues to hobble, right? And this is kind of like an iconic photo. That's the father right there. Um, this is Derek. And you can just see the pain, the torment in his face. Imagine what he's going through. Not only was all of his training for the past 26 years in his life a waste, but he realizes that, and not only is he going through like tremendous physical pain, but he's so sad that his career in the Olympics is pretty much over because of this in injury. His dreams are gone. Everything that he worked for vanished. Just like that. So this is, and this is a moving part, right? Um, Derek Redman, right, the athlete here, he stops hobbling. He puts his arms, his arms around his father, and he starts to cry and wail uncontrollably. He feels like a failure. He feels like a disappointment. He feels like this entire life has been a waste because of this injury. But one thing I've noticed after watching this video is that the dad is firm, Right? The dad is compassionate, never letting go of his son. And with no words being said, you can tell that the father is communicating to all the world that's watching, I'm not going to let go of my son. And we're going to finish the race together. I'm never going to let go of him. And they eventually finished the race. And this became one of the most iconic, remembered Olympic moments in history. Right? We look at Derek's life. Um, he looked invincible. He was 27 years old, probably in the best shape of his life, probably the most popular he's ever been, and all of a sudden, with one crushing event, his life changed forever, just like that. This teaches us that it doesn't matter how well off we are. Right? It, it doesn't matter how successful or how wealthy we are because our lives can change drastically for the worse in any given situation. No matter how indestructible we seem, we are extremely vulnerable. We're frail. We're limited. But here's the thing. <coughs> even in our weakness, even in our frailty, it's good to be weak. It's good to be weak. Let me explain. Because in our weakness, our father comes to help us just as Derek's father came to help him. It's good to be weak because when we are weak, then we are strong. That's when we experience the perfect, satisfying, and sufficient grace of our Savior. Only in our weakness. Not in our flourishing. You see, we have the confidence to embrace our limitations. Because that's when we see God shine, don't we? 
Because if our lives were perfect, if our lives were flawless, if our lives had no mistakes, no error, no failure, then we would have no need for a Savior. This is why it's good to be weak, because we get to depend on Jesus as our Savior. That's our first point. Embrace our first application point. Embrace our limitations. Um, Here's our second application. Embrace the urgency of time. Embrace the urgency of time. So first, once again, um, embrace your limitations. And secondly, embrace the urgency of time. One of the lamest, cheesiest quotes I've seen on the internet goes like this. You ready for this? Live each day as if it's your last. Right? Pretty cheesy. Are you cringing right now? Yeah, um, I Googled this, right? And people have this tattooed on their wrist. They have this tattooed on their back, right? And I'm just like thinking like, ugh, is this what it means to live each day as if it's their last, right? Get that phrase tattooed on your body. Um, Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. But the reason why I bring this up, as cheesy as this quote is, there's some wisdom to knowing that our time here on earth is actually really short, Right? I think about this truth, right, the, the limited time that we have. I think about this even more so now at my age. Um, earlier this week, um, I had salangtang, right? And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's um, Korean uh, soup. <laughs> it's made out of uh, bone broth, right, uh, from the ox. And as a kid, I would hate this. Every time my parents were like, let's see salangtang, I'm like, no, I don't want it, right? Give me McDonald's, right? But at my age right now, I love this. I ate this like twice in a week, right? This is how much I love it. And so I was eating salangtang by myself at a restaurant, and um, I was recovering from a nasty cold, right? You guys saw me last week. I was like struggling. I was the only one in the restaurant, and the server, probably old enough to be my mom's age, she gave me exceptional service, right? Can you believe that great service from a Korean restaurant, right? Um, I was eating... It was so delicious, right? It was one of those places where they bring out, like, the kimchi and the kaktugi, right? And you cut the kimchi with the scissors, right? And it's, like, so fresh. It's delicious. It pairs perfectly with your soup. And I couldn't finish my meal because I didn't have much of an appetite because I was sick, right? You know when you're sick, you can't eat that much. And so the server comes by, and she looks so concerned. Like, I love this about, like, first-generation people, um, she looked, at, uh, she looked at me with so, so much concern, and she asked, um, how come you can't finish your meal, right? And I just explained to her, oh, I'm, I'm sick, right? I don't feel well. I've been sick for like a month, right? And she responds like this, very interesting. When I'm sick, I really want my mom's cooking, right? And she said it with so much sadness, and I was like, oh, this is weird. I don't know how to like respond to this, right? And I was like, so I panicked. I was like, oh, yeah, me too, right? I, I, I don't get home-cooked meals that much often, right, from my parents. So I love eating at Korean restaurants because it's my comfort food, right? And she looked at me confusingly, and this is all in Korean. I'm shocked that I can communicate this much to her in Korean to begin with. Um, she looked at me like very confusingly, and she was like, wait, how come you're not eating with your parents, right? Because she noticed I'm by myself. Um, do you not live with them? And I said, oh, this is complicated. Uh, no, but they live close, right? And um, she said, man, like she was like rebuking me, right? You should let your mom cook for you. And I was like, uh. 
Because from a mother's perspective, it's really sad when their children refuses to eat at home, to eat at a Korean restaurant instead, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. Can I get, this, can I get a to-go box, please, <laughs> right? I was like, oh, I don't know how to like, respond to that. Um, so I got my leftovers to go. She hooked it up with extra kimchi and extra like, rice. And I felt like so loved and so cared for, right? Food. And, but here's what happened. Um, right when I stepped into my car, I started to cry uncontrollably, right, because of that conversation. Um, because I miss my mom. Right? It's true. I, I miss the cooking, right? I miss the care. Um, and it's one thing that's so unique about being sick is your parents always, like, checks up on you, right? Um, when I got, so I was sick for, like, the past, like, five weeks, and my dad, he's so legit. He comes to the rescue. He gives me a 30-pack of emergency, a pack of bananas, right, NyQuil and DayQuil, the combo pack, right? And he was like, let's eat so long tongue. And I'm like, praise the Lord, right? I'm so blessed, right? And it's in the times of our sickness where we see our parents care. But here's the thing. As I was, like, crying, right, um, the time that I have with my dad, I realize, is increasingly short. And I realize, man, um, I want to spend more time with my, my family, my dad, right? Um, there's this urgency to make the most of the relationships that I have here, right? Um, I want to spend more time with my dad, as, uh, as I said. Uh, I want to be a good son to him even more now than ever, and the lesson here is that time is limited and fleeting, right? I was reflecting on this, and I felt the need to make the most out of all my relationships, beyond my family, church, right, my friends. The question that I want to ask you guys in light of this application point, right, embrace the urgency of time, is consider where God has you in your life right now. Reflect on how he is calling you to make the most of the time, right? How, how can you do that? How can you do that this week? Um, and I will say, obviously, it's going to look a lot different from a parent raising their children to a single working professional. But no matter what hat you wear in life, we all have an opportunity to embrace not only our limitations in time, but to make the most of it. That's our second point. Embrace the urgency of time. And this is our last point. Embrace the everlasting nature of God. Embrace the everlasting nature of God. You see, in Psalm 103, there's this contrast between our fading and our frail life to God's unfading, eternal love. And if you look at this text, David is making a very strong effort to show us how great God's compassion is. You know, God's love here is characterized as from everlasting to everlasting, right? But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, right? This means that God didn't start loving us right when we were saved, God didn't start loving us right when we were born. God didn't start loving us right when we did something right. But the fact that God's love is everlasting to everlasting shows us that God loved us before the beginning of time. Do you see that? God loved us, you and I, before we were even a thought. 
God loved us and knew us before the beginning of time. And Ephesians 1.4 says, We were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. God came to us and he says, I choose you. I want you. I want to love you. I want to save you before the foundations of the world. How amazing is that? And not only that, Jesus foreknew, right? He knew before he stepped into the world that one day he would die for our sins. And Philippians shows us that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is why God's everlasting love is such a huge encouragement for us as we come to grips with our frailty, our mortality, right, our limitations, the lack of time that we have. Do you see, church, Jesus stepped out of the Godhead so that we can step into having a relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus gave up his status so that we can be treated with royalty. Jesus was mocked and ridiculed so that we can be glorified. Jesus was crucified and he died so that we may resurrect and live eternally. That's how much God loves you. Since God the Father did not spare his own son, but also gave him up to be slaughtered for our sake, how will God in sovereignty not make his compassion known to you? How will God not provide for you? How will God not take care of you? If God the Father was able to sacrifice the most precious thing to him, church, then caring for us, providing for us, loving us, being faithful to us is not a difficult task for him. God wants you. God will come through in his own way and his own timing. Hold fast to your faith. Do not give up. As we continue in uh, this season of Lent, my encouragement to us as a church is that we would embrace our mortality as we reflect on God and his eternality and as we reflect on his sovereign compassion, right? The the idea that his compassion cannot be affected by the means of man. That if God really wants to show us compassion, he will show it to us and not even Satan's plans will thwart that. Let's pray together. Father, we reflect on this wonderful truth we reflect in the fact that, um, God, not only are you great and you're mighty and you're powerful and that you are sovereign and in control of all things and that you care for us according to your compassions, but, God, we also reflect on the fact that we are weak, we are frail, we're like dust, right? We're like the grass and the flowers of the field, And all it takes is a wind to wipe us away. And God, we rejoice in the fact that we are weak because in our weakness, Jesus, you are strong. In our weakness, you reveal even more so, with more clarity, how precious your grace is. And as a church, as we continue to seek your presence, as we continue to to fast, to practice stillness, to wait, Help us to see a higher view of you, God. And as David, we can respond by declaring, bless the Lord on my soul. Bless the Lord on my soul. 
build our church, grow us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.